Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to open up your word. This morning, we ask that your spirit guide us as we continue in this sermon series, The Parables of Jesus. Uh, Lord, there is a lot of reframing we have to do of our viewpoints. Uh, this is something that we have to do on a regular basis, Lord, in the world that we live, as we relate it to the kingdom that we live for you and for your purposes and for our eternity. And so we ask this all by your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Valentine's Day. You can say it back if you want. I'm, I'm okay with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, the origins of Valentine's Day go back to 3rd century Rome, believe it or not, and a guy by the name of St. Valentina Rome. Now, this isn't this isn't biblical or anything, but um, and, and not a lot is known about this particular guy. But, but many historians agree uh, that what we do know about this, this priest or this pastor uh, was that he was known for his ministry to the persecuted church, to persecuted Christians in particular. And one of the reasons that he's associated with like this, this day of romance, so to speak, is that he was arrested and persecuted himself because he married believers, because he did weddings in the church. And at that time, it was illegal in the church to get married in the church. Isn't that interesting? And there's a whole lot of history with that that I'll save for someone else <laughs> to maybe teach you, but it's fascinating. And, and there's a lot of good Christian history Incredible Christian history, especially from that day uh, that we know a bit about. Uh, and it's just interesting that we're worshiping on this day. And uh, I'm uh, recalling some of the stories that I learned way back in seminary and that sort of thing. But St. Valentine, maybe, maybe look him up and, and, and look into that a bit. Uh, there's one story that, that I found particularly fascinating about him. And, and again, we don't, we don't know all of uh, the details of this story, uh, but one where he was on house arrest, and St. Valentine, uh, being the evangelist that he was, uh, was witnessing to the judge that was presiding over his case. And on this particular occasion, what's recorded is that um, they were in a debate uh, about Jesus' resurrection, and, and the judge says to him, we'll prove it. If if Jesus is who he says he is, I have a daughter, I want you to heal her, and out he brought his daughter, this being the judge, and his daughter was blind, and as the story goes, St. Valentine placed his hands and prayed over in the name of Jesus, his daughter, and restored her sight, and, uh, and it says that uh, the judge repented of his sins and fasted for three days and brought his whole family to Jesus. And uh, just a neat story uh, about, again, the origins of Valentine's Day. Some of you are like, thanks. Some of you are like, interesting. Some of you are like, I don't care. Anyway, you get to hear it anyway. Valentine's Day. Matthew 18. It all relates, actually, in one way or another to this parable we'll be in today as we talk about God's love for his children. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 is where we'll be today where Jesus is teaching his disciples and begins with this question. Love if you follow along with me in Matthew 18, 12 through 
14 is where the parable is. And then we're going to look at uh, uh, more of chapter 18 following that. Jesus begins with this question, what do you think? Thanks for asking. Uh, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one who went astray? It, you know this parable, just by show of hands? Familiar to many of you? Yeah, it's a pretty familiar parable. If it's not to you, I'm so glad you're here and listening or, or watching. And if he finds it, verse 13 says, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, the shepherd, more than over the 99 that never went astray. Boy, that's saying something about God's love. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Again, this parable speaks of God's incredible love for his children. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But to really understand the depth of what Jesus is saying here, you first have to understand what comes before this. What do we call that? What do we call that? We've been, say, we've been talking about this for weeks. We, we call it context. We have to understand it to really understand it. Uh, verse 1, look, look back there with me. I'll have it for you on the screen as well. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, there's a question that's being asked of Jesus. That's where the parable comes out of. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, so picture with me, Jesus is with his disciples, and then he calls a, a, a little kid, hey, come over here. And, and this would have been a pretty big deal in the day in which Jesus was living, because children were seen, not heard, that kind of culture. And, and so it would have been a little bit odd for someone of, of Jesus' stature to call a little child to come into him. And then it says that the child was there among them, so maybe they're circled around the, the child. Truly I say to you, unless you turn, he looks at his disciples, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if there were some gasps, like, <gasps> but this would have been something that would have really transformed the way they saw things. And Jesus goes on, whoever humbles himself, like the ch this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. He's pointing out two things here. He's reframing our view of both relationship to God or God's love for us and relationship with each other, our love for others. See, in God's kingdom, humility equals greatness because because God values relationship. He, he values us in this sense. The opposite is true of the value system of the world, where it's all about crushing the competitions, being self-serving, competing against one another. No, that's not how it works in God's economy. True love, Jesus is showing his disciples, is not self-serving. It's actually sacrificial. And it's, and it's patient. Something that we really struggle with, right? It, it's personal. Something that we might find quite difficult to understand as it relates to God's love for us. And, and Jesus goes on a bit further to explain even more so what this kind of love is. Look at verse 6. But whoever causes 
One of these little ones, again pointing at that child that's in their midst, who believes in me, so he's talking about believers here, to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone, a very, very large rock that was used for milling, okay, a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Sounds really harsh. (laughs) But understand this. Jesus was using, and he'll go on to use, hyperbole. And what's that? English teachers? What's that? Well, it's, it's in one sense exaggeration to make a strong point. And that's what he goes on to also say. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come. In other words, you'll all experience them. You live in a fallen world. Temptations will be there. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come. You will be judged is what woe means here. (laughs) And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. What? (laughs) And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell fire, hell of fire, so that you do not despise, see, excuse me, that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the angels notice how God looks upon his children. Don't misunderstand this. Jesus is making a contrast. He's using, again, hyperbole. It would be better to not have been born with that eye than to lose your soul. He's not talking about hurting yourself in any way, shape, or form here. It's it's like we might say, you're going to drive yourself off a cliff if you don't stop doing that. It's that sort of language here. There's judgment for those who purposely cause themselves and others to sin. And for that, it's a warning to us all. See, sin leads to harm and death. Jesus is really saying the opposite of hurt yourself or that we would hurt someone else. He's saying, no, that's how serious sin is. And and Jesus is showing us this in order to give us a picture of just how precious his children are to him. That's the background then of the parable, which gives us maybe a deeper picture of what he is speaking of here. It's about his disciples, the children of God, and that he wishes that no one be deceived and tempted away from him or lost and wander away from the faith, enticed by sin. You're starting to get the picture. See, God's love for his children is, I'm just going to use it as an adjective here, is protective God desires that we would be protected from sin. Notice in the parable, we have 100 sheep and just one wanders off. Just one. To us, it's like, well, it's just one, not to God. The parable focuses on those who wander away from God. Maybe a person who grew up in the faith and begins to go a different direction. Someone who has left the church taking a different path in life, taking a break from their faith, we might use you know, phrases like that. Someone who's in a spiritual valley. 
Someone who is distancing themselves from God. See, we're all prone to wander. We, we might have someone that comes to mind, maybe. Oh, that, that person that I know kind of walked away from their faith. But, but personalize this, because believe me, that's what Jesus is doing here. We're all prone to wander. I, I recall the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Maybe you do at this point, by Robert Robinson, written in 1757. He, he writes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that true? Our nature, oh, it is true. Our nature is to wander. Our nature is to get distracted. Our nature is to lose focus and get ourselves into trouble. And why is that? Because we're searching for something. We're running after something. We're chasing something. We want something that we don't think God can offer. And then we're tempted, and we get enticed, and we get influenced. That's why he's talking about in verse 6, don't be one of those influencers. Don't be a stumbling block, as we might say. Why? Because sin leads to harm in life and ultimately to death. It's that serious Jesus is showing them. He's also talking about our example. But first... God is a protector. Know that about his love. This Valentine's Day, seriously, know that about God's love for you. He's a protector. We're the sheep in the story. In John 10, he expounds a, a quite a bit more on, on the sheep and the shepherd. And, and we're not there today. But it gives us a picture of this as well. See, sheep are defenseless. They're defenseless against the terrain they might be in. They need the shepherd guiding them. That's why the shepherd goes out in front. He doesn't push them along. No, he goes out in front and he leads them. That's what good shepherds do. But the sheep, they're prone to wander. They might get themselves into a situation. And if a predator comes, they're defenseless. That's what sheep are. They're even known to walk towards the danger. They're not very smart. <laughs> That's the sheep here. That's a picture of us. But God is a shepherd. In fact, he's the good shepherd. The picture given in John 10 is of a shepherd that would go before his sheep as night is about to approach. And if they're away from the, the, the public uh, you might call it fencing areas in which they could go and, and harbor their sheep so that they could get some rest. If they're way out there grazing those sheep and they're not going to make it back before dark, they might find their way into a cave. Understand that when Jesus is telling this parable, everyone listening would have understood this because I mean, even today, if you go to Israel, you would know that there are sheep out in the pasture, goats out in the hill countries, and the mountains grazing. But back to that picture. Night is falling. The sheep need a place to rest and be protected. And so uh, it's a picture here of the shepherd taking them into a cave. 
And, and they go in the cave, and then the shepherd, he lays down in front in that entrance area. He lays down his life for the sheep, keeping predator out here, and he in between uh, the sheep and the goats. He lays down his life. It's a picture of the gospel. He's a good shepherd. Why? He gives up his life for his own children. It's a beautiful picture of his love and just how much he desires to protect his own. It's a picture of the gospel that Jesus did lay down his life on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life in his name. What a picture of his love. He seeks to protect us from the things that entice us and influence us away from him, like the things that attract us away from God the things that we spend way too much time doing when we could be doing things that would be so much better for the kingdom than what we spend our time doing. The things that seem beautiful and compelling, but on the inside are really not. God knows we're prone to wander. God knows that we're vulnerable. This isn't news to him. And as I think about this, it caused me to think, so, so, so knowing this about God's love, it informs the way I should live. And what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus will leave the 99 and go for just one lamb. What does that say about his love for us? Well, it certainly says our love is not like that. I mean, we're, we're more like, well, is it really worth the effort just to go for that one? That's us. Is it really worth the effort to save just one? Just one person? Just one life? Maybe it's that, that person in your life that's difficult to love. I was mean to him, but, you know, kind of deserved it. And just one person. I'm nice to most people. Now, this is the opposite of God's love. He wishes that all would come to him. He is patient with us, is another picture of it. He is, he is a God who desires to protect us. He is a God who loves us and is patient with us. What a, what a picture or a characteristic of God's love. Look at verse 14 again. So it is not the will of my Father, it's not in his purposes, never was, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Actually, not talking about babies, not talking about little kids. Little ones is referring to his disciples, believers. Notice he comes to us, slow to anger, abounding in love, leaving 99 for just one. I'm going to keep saying it, not wishing that any should perish, it says. What does that say about his patience towards us? He will take the time to reach us. He will continue to pursue us. Isn't that amazing? I picture someone walking away from God and turning around. Oh, you're still here? <laughs> but, but I'm trying to get away from you. That, that's, that's sin. I'm trying to get away from you. It, it's, it's on purpose. Oh, you're still here. 
And Jesus, with, with love in his eyes, I, I never went anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. What a picture. Reminds me of 2 Peter 3. You might recall this. It, it, it in some ways relates to what we were talking about last week. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, which speaks about the Lord's return in the end times, which we are definitely living in. The days that we are living in today and awaiting as he, our hope is, returns. Our hope is he returns soon. But there's a warning here in these verses. Verse 8. But do not overlook, believer, do not overlook, beloved, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's timing isn't ours. But verse 9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, as some might be wondering, well, where is he? No, but look what it says. But is patient towards you. Don't, don't miss the you there. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think Peter was recalling this parable. They have a, they have a way of sticking in our memory, don't they? God is not like us. We're, we're so impatient with ourselves. <laughs> Man, I'm impatient with myself. And we're really impatient with others. On the, on the way to church this morning, someone ran a red light. I hope this wasn't you. Um, someone is going south on Lindale, and they blew through this red light. I mean, like, if I would have gone at the light, I wouldn't be here. Okay? How do you think I reacted? It's Valentine's Day. You get, you get one freebie. <laughs> one freebie. No, I didn't. I'm not going to tell you how I acted. Don't go through red lights. God's not like us. He cares about even one. Think about what that means for you and for those around you. Jesus hopes in that son or daughter he longs for us to repent of our sins. He's patient with even me. And why shouldn't he be? I mean, why shouldn't he be patient with your neighbor if he's patient with you? That's what kind of love he has. See, we need to check our attitudes and realize that this kind of love must inform our treatment of others. Jesus will leave the 99 of his children and go for even one. That's why he is so serious about not leading anyone into temptation. That's why he doesn't want us to lead anyone astray. It's why we have to recognize that we are an example all the time, believer in Christ. And he never wants us to be the ones who put a stumbling block in someone else's life. It's, it's reflection, I hope, for us, it's reflection on our own lives that, that we would be an example. Have some self-reflection here. How is my example to others in my Christian walk? What is my example like as, as I'm around my kids or, or my friends or my family or my neighbors or here at church? 
Are we good influences or are we not? Jesus is challenging our view of how we both see his love and mercy as well as how we live it out. What a picture of love, which shows us just how personal God's love is towards each other. Towards us, excuse me. For each other. It's so personal. God's love for us is so personal. Look again at verse 13. And if he finds it, it says... He rejoices. Love that. He rejoices over it more than the 99. Now, of course, this doesn't mean he doesn't care about the 99. It's, again, hyperbole. This means quite literally, when someone who is lost is found and repents of their sins and comes to the Father, he's happier than ever before. That's what it means. Why? Because each of us were born or made in his image and likeness. He doesn't make mistakes or distinctions. Each lamb is beloved. Your value, take this personally. Sometimes we shouldn't take things personally. Take this personally. Your value to God is found in that he made you. He formed you in your mother's womb. In fact, he knew about you or had plans for you way before that. Actually, the Bible tells us before the foundation of the world is why we uphold life in this church. Why? Because each of us is born, is made in his image. Your value, church, to God is found in that he made you. None of the things you do Think about that. Just take that in for a second. Not in the things you don't do, although we often feel that way. No, your value comes from Jesus, his son, his saving grace, that we are found in him. It reminds me of this prophecy in Zephaniah 3.17. That is a book of the Bible, Zephaniah. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst Take that in. Even if you're at home, he's there too. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's present with you right now. He loves you even right now. Even though you did those things last week. (laughs) A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. In other words, comfort you. He will exalt over you with Loud singing. Did you know God likes loud music? This is God looking over his people, Israel. He sings loud like a proud father. I like to think of it this way. His wallet is filled with pictures of you guys. Is that corny to say on, well, corny is corny to say on Valentine's Day. But his wallet is filled with pictures of you. His Instagram is filled with pictures of you. His Facebook is filled with pictures of you. Do you know what this is? Has anyone ever seen this picture? That's our Emmaus family. This is what we call a recursive picture. Do you know what that means? It means that in this picture, there's pictures of your faces. Did you know we had this? There's like 400 pictures in there. Each one, 
one of, one of you, at least if you were in this particular time we took pictures. That's a lot of faces. Now multiply that by like a gazillion. <laughs> by a lot, I mean. That's how personal God's love is. I don't care if it's cheesy. That's how personal God's love is. What Jesus is trying to make the point of is that it's that personal. It's, it's that exclusive. He rejoices over me. He rejoices over you. And man, that should inform us in the way we should live out his image as image bearers of Christ, that I was born to display this love for the world to see. Little ones, your father cares for you. Little ones, he adores you. Take that in for a second. Even just one. Shouldn't that be our motto too? Even the one who walked away. Even the one on 2nd Avenue. Even the one on Nicollet. Even one. Every single one. That should inform our evangelism like nothing else. Imagine a parent who sees one of their children out there in danger. Now who in their right mind would say, well, I'm with my three. I'll leave that one out there. No. Not a good parent. God is that father. He's not like, oh, they'll be fine. <laughs> oh, it's just one. No big deal. No, God's love, God's love is personal. Think about what that means for us today. I'm so grateful that his love is personal. Because I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't, that's for sure. And to know his value transforms the way I think. And it begins to shape the way I see others too. So as we close today, I want you to bow with me in prayer. I'm just going to ask that God would do some work in our own hearts in relation to this. It's the perfect day for it. That God would show us where we need mercy in our lives. And if you're one of those who maybe struggles a bit with even accepting the love of God, I want to pray for you too. Would you bow with me as we, as we go to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this picture of true love. We're grateful to celebrate a day that speaks of your great love and care for us. But Lord Jesus, we don't love like you. We, we struggle in these areas of our life and we ask you, Lord Jesus, to give us grace. And within that grace, give us grace for one another. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would have mercy on our hearts and souls. Because we're not always good examples. In fact, we're, we really struggle with that. 
So Lord Jesus, would you come into our hearts. Spirit of God, would you fill us in order that we would, we would grow in our understanding of what true love looks like for one another within this fellowship and with our neighbor and that we would be accepting of your love for us. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for the cross that you took our sins for us, that you died on our behalf, that we can have eternal life in you because of your sacrifice. So Lord Jesus, may today be a day in which we accept your sacrifice and receive your resurrection and be renewed in your spirit. I pray this over us and for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.